Hello, this is Mike. It's Saturday the 4th of February and I'm just about to, I was going to say set sail then, but I'm in the car. I'm not, uh, uh, not sailing to Reading to watch Watford in action at the Medeski or the Select Car Leasing Stadium, as I believe it's called now. Reading v Watford on the menu today then. But before we do get to that, I just wanted to mention, obviously, this week some very, very sad news uh, when we heard uh, about the death uh, of Oliver Phillips. Ollie Phillips, just uh, such an important name and an important person for so many Watford supporters. His work uh, at the Watford Observer over such an extensive period connecting Watford supporters with their club in such an incredible, articulate, eloquent, fair, tough um, and often entertaining way. He was just an incredible journalist um, and I think we were lucky as Watford fans to have him um, on the Watford Observer for so long and I think in the days um, since Ollie's death what you've seen is not just his impact on, on Watford supporters and, and, and what he was able to supply for us as fans of the club but also people within the sports media industry who, who came into contact with him whether they were colleagues whether they were people he gave advice to early on in their career just clear what a legacy Ollie Phillips has has left behind a, a genuine Watford man with gen- with Watford in his heart um he was always firm he was always fair um he always looked for the story and and for me as a Watford supporter getting the Watford observer every friday morning and devouring every single word he wrote about Watford was it was just part of the part of the process it's part of my Watford supporting life and and, and desperately sad to hear the news uh, this week, great that Watford were able to name the the media suite uh, at Watford in in Ollie's name, and to to know that he was aware of that before he sadly passed away. So, but I just wanted to let you know that we'll be back um, with a proper tribute to Ollie Phillips on from the Rookery End. We want to talk to some of the people that knew him best, that worked with him, so we can do him justice. Uh, so we'll be back with that uh, with more on Ollie Phillips and and the sad news of his passing. Uh, in a in a podcast very soon, but there is a match today. Uh, we're off to Reading, as I've mentioned. I've got Arlo with me. Arlo, how are you feeling? Good. Transfer windows shut. We're going to talk about that later on in the podcast. I spoke to John and Jace earlier in the week about what we thought about the transfer window. But going into this game today, how do you feel about Watford squad? Uh, good because, but in December and November we had no squad depth. Loads of our players were injured and now we've signed quite a lot of players to depth, give our squad more squad depth and now I'd say we've got at least a player in every position that we could sub on. Good, so a a deeper squad, that's good. Depth is the watchword from Arlo, I think you go along with that. And ours in terms of today's match against Reading, big one, important for Watford, do you think? Yeah, we've got to win it because if we're, if we're going to get higher in the table than Luton and get promoted, then it's kind of a must-win game. Two big targets there. Get above Luton, get promoted. I'll go along with that. Right, let's hit the road. The M4 awaits. Come on, you horns. The M4 was kind. We have arrived nice and early here at the Select Car Leasing Stadium. I'm getting evils from Charlie. He's excited, uh, channeling all that nervous energy into supporting the the Golden Boys. He's come uh, with his dad, my brother Andy, on the Junior Hornets coach. And how was it uh, coming with the Junior Hornets? You've been somewhere else on the way here as well, I gather. Yeah, it's been great. We started bright and early, 9.30. We're up at the Mighty Vic, weren't we, Charlie? Smooth journey into Reading to Kangaroo Rush or something the uh, Kangaroo Red the trampoline park sounds exhausting it was great it was really good Charlie got his socks on straight away I, I thought I was going to have to watch but uh, saw someone else with some socks on so I went and got a pair myself and we uh, bounced away for an hour and uh, as Anne said, hopefully we'll be going to be bouncing later on this afternoon. Yeah, we're going to bounce in a minute, hopefully. Yeah, wonderful to see the Junior Hornets here. I think three coach loads here today. And I think what's important for, for that is that, and yeah, obviously growing up, we started coming to Watford as kids. And we basically came because mum and dad felt it was safe for us to, for, for us to come. And, and what I think is wonderful that Watford are carrying on that tradition by 
doing these, uh, putting these events on for Junior Hornets, wrapping something around the day, um, and sort of making sure that people realise it isn't just about the 90 minutes, is it? It's about a day out with, with their mates. You know, some of these guys on these coaches will start recognising each other week in, week out, and it's where these friendships, lifelong friendships, are forged on the terraces or in the seats watching Watford, or indeed at the trampoline parks uh, up and down the country <laughs> supporting the Golden Boys. So the Junior Hornets are here in force. They'll be joined by... I don't know, 18, 1900 other Watford fans, 2,000 sell out in the away end today. And But we stood outside the, the stadium. You said it's been a little while since you've, you've been here. So I didn't come to the cup game, you didn't come to the cup game. But Lionel was here, he, he spoke on the podcast about how he really doesn't like uh, Reading Stadium. He just says it's a bit soulless, a bit identikit. And is one of the worst grounds, I think he said. Apologies, Lionel, if that's not quite how strong he went. But you, he was quite vehement in saying he's not a fan of it. And to you... What is it that makes a good away day and, I suppose specifically, an away ground? What is it you like? Is it like, like this sort of old-school small grounds? Or do you like to go... We were speaking to a Reading fan on the walk here who was explained, talking, telling us about his trip to Old Trafford to see uh, Reading in the Cup and how you know, he enjoyed that as a, as a one-off. But he wouldn't want to be at Old Trafford every week watching his football. For an away day, what is it that you you'd want most out of if you could pitch your perfect away day what would it, what would it look like it definitely uh, is an accumulation of different things you know it's the occasion you know big games are obviously exciting um, to go but in, to. in some ways isn't, like, isn't it a, like a random pokey crap game almost I suppose that could be an occasion couldn't it that it's so nondescript that that's almost or is that just me being a bit of a sort of hipster idiot no well I mean obviously we've been up to Scarborough on a Tuesday night so we know <laughs> going to a pokey pokey weird ground um, but you know, you know I think it's, it's everything I mean I get what Lionel's saying I mean we haven't been inside yet I haven't been here for a while but um, you know it's at the top of this sort of mound with a, with a retail park down the bottom but um, and, and and it doesn't feel particularly special because we're we're pretty much the first ones here. <laughs> but um, we've been here a lot, of course, as well. We're listening to um, some other podcasts and things like that. The small, the smaller grounds, you know, like Brentford's old ground, I I, I enjoy going to when it's in amongst the houses. Um, you know, it's a little bit different to these these sort of out of town bowls that we everybody's talked about so often. You know, today's going to be great because. Charlie's what seven? He's, he's on the bus, trampolining to the match. On back on the coach home, and you know it's it's all an eye, eye opener for him. And first away game for Charlie. First away game for Charlie. Amazing, Arlo. You're here as well. Still, luckily, yeah, we haven't lost you. Well done if that's good or bad. But so we're just talking about away days and away grounds. You've been lucky enough to do a fair few. What would you say has been your favourite away? Not not the game. But the actual ground that you've been to, that's not, not Watford, would you say? Hmm, that is a difficult one because I've been to quite a lot. Well, Everton was great because it was like old fashioned and it was wooden chairs, it was and like it was good atmosphere. And I don't really know. I like I think Bristol's stadium, the one I went to earlier this year, their stadium is really nice, but the away end is horrendous. Good atmosphere, bad match. So, yeah. but um, I'd probably have to say, mm, this is difficult. It is difficult. Right, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask Andy. Man United. Man United. So Old Trafford's your favourite away ground. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think one that really sticks out is it's actually not a great place to watch football, but Newcastle United is absolutely astonishing to go to because you walk through the town. It really feels like a. Uh, an occasion, uh, a match day in Newcastle. Everyone's wearing black and white. The pubs are full, the bars are full. It's the only thing in town. And you walk up the hill and there is James Park perched atop and it's sort of like this big sort of cathedral of Geordie football there in front of you. And then obviously the, the vantage point is a bit a bit crap there. I do like QPR. I think those sort of... In my mind's eye, we always play QPR on a, on a weeknight. It's definitely not the case. but And, it, and it's terrible for, for sitting in you. It's, it's the classic stand-up if you can't sit down song there because you sit down, there's no room in your legs. But it, it's so compact and it always feels like a, an exciting game there. I'm going to stick with, well, along the lines of what I said earlier. Like, like, enjoy going to Brentford and Fulham. Fulham was a yeah. nice ground to go to. Um, you know, it's a, a bit of a mix of the old nice little walk there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, it's all not part too, of it. Not, not too tricky on the train. 
So, um, yeah, I always enjoy going there. And you've got the sort of slight obscurities of the, of the mixed bit. And, of course, I think the last time we went, went to Fulham, we won 5-0. Five five yeah, take it. Which was amazing. Uh, I've just spied Barry, and Swanson's right-hand man, uh, an integral part of the uh, Junior Hornets operation here at Watford's. I'm going to go and grab a quick word with, uh, with Barry. We are surrounded by happy, smiling faces... And that's because there is a large Junior Hornets presence here at, uh, I was going to call it Medeski, we're at Reading. Talk to us about what's going on today. Uh, so it's one of our Junior Hornet away days. Uh, we had three, or, sorry, two already this season. This is our third one. Uh, we've been trampolining this morning with uh, some of the kids. I went to the Red Kangaroo Trampoline Park, which was fantastic. Uh, kids all enjoyed themselves. Uh, now we're here for the game. We greeted the players from the coach as they arrived. The players have got their Junior Hornets T-shirts on, uh, showing their support for the for the Junior Hornets, and we're giving out some banners for the kids, uh, so they'll be able to show their support for the players. And you've been uh, you've been uh, connected with the Junior Hornets long enough. You've been with with Anne on on these trips. What's it like to see these kids just enjoying? For a lot of them, this will be their first away day. Well, I was with you at Southampton last year. Saw, saw similar things. What's it, what's it like to see these kids just enjoying it and how does it make you feel to be a part of it and able to do it at, at our club? Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. I'm not sure that any other club uh, would, uh, would support this in the way that, that, uh, that we are. Um, it's lovely seeing the, the, the smiles on the kids' faces earlier at, at the trampoline park, but the same at Huddersfield and Wigan where we've been earlier this season. Like I say, a lot of the time it is their first experience of an away game, um, which, you know can be a bit daunting you know initially but like I say if they're all here together all with friends all with families uh, and they'll have a great day and like I say just great seeing them with their smiles on their faces yeah and uh, just to be able to, to bring them to football and away and away game yeah, experience in, in, experience. in, in and know the mums and dads know they're going to be going to be safe guardians know the kids are going to be safe it's not just not, not just match days though is it plenty going on no that's right we've uh, got a competition uh, running at the moment uh, for one of the kids to be with Scott Tingley the groundsman next week uh, we'll have the family zone on next week we've got the Junior Hornet day uh, for the fixture with Blackburn Rovers so there'll be quite a bit going on uh, in and around the game uh, next Saturday uh, we've got we'll have some other events planned for the school holidays uh, so keep an eye on the socials on the webpage, and uh, yeah, there'll be things going on throughout the season and the summer will be on that. So, if you've got kids, you know people have got kids, you've got relatives. How do the how do kids sign up for Junior Hornets? Uh, go to the main ticketing website, tickets.watfordfc.com, or the uh, the Junior Hornets site, juniorhornets.watfordfc.com. There'll be a link there to sign up, uh, fill it in. It's all free um, to, to sign up. You'll get a welcome pack sent out to you be invited to all the events you've got the chance also to sign up to be a mascot match day mascot that uh, comes with the junior hornet membership um yes yeah, so, no it'd be great to have some more kids we're not far short of 3,000 now which is the highest number the club have ever had even in Anne's day so yeah we're going from strength to strength amazing the main event not long ago we're going to pin you down prediction for this game then running Watford uh, I think we'll win 2-0 we'll take that Just a few minutes before kick-off here at the Medeski Hall, whatever indeed it is called these days. Um, an interesting-looking team for Watford this afternoon, but of course, Watford have made plenty of additions over the transfer window. January, a few in, a few out. How are they going to fit into this Watford squad? Is it a good window for Watford? Well, we got together earlier in the week to have a chat about it. Here's what we thought. Jason, the January transfer window. Did, did you enjoy it? Do you enjoy it? Do I enjoy it? Perhaps a little bit of me does, but I, I, I can't buy into all the hype, I don't think. I, it's, it's nice to see new players coming to a club. And, and I guess when you're starved for a few months of not seeing new talent, and particularly if your team's not doing as well as, uh, as you'd expect, then maybe there is a bit of excitement around it. But it, it's in particular the forced nature of it all. You get nearer and nearer to deadline day. And then the actual event that is deadline day, oh, it's just that that doesn't make sense to me. My 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 issue is that if you're doing it right, you get all your business done early. You've got all your ducks lined up and you get it in, you get it done and you're not panicking or, or scrabbling around for, for scraps at the last minute. And I, I appreciate that when you're not at the top of the chain, sometimes you need to wait for other things to happen. I guess it's a bit like 
buying a house, isn't it? You've got to wait for movements in the chain elsewhere to get what you want. But again, for me, that's that's more down to luck than judgment. There's no guarantee that you'll be able to get what you want to get. So you need to set your targets at the right level, at the right players, so that you, it doesn't become a gamble and that you've got what you need at the end of it. There's just too much risk there. And you look at social media and it does make me laugh. Perhaps I do enjoy it. When you see sort of some fans, and I'm not just talking about Watford fans, I'm talking just fans from clubs all across the spectrum, throwing their toys out of their prams because they, they, they don't make a signing on deadline day. doesn't matter if they need to make a signing or not, but if they don't make a deadline day signing, some fans see that as a as a bad transfer window. And they set it all out on, or set their stall out or, or, or just on one day as to how they feel about the transfer window. Just as an example, there were a few reactions to um, the, the, the Wesley Hood signing, um, if I've said that right, because obviously that was announced on deadline day and there were things like, oh, that's not a proper deadline day signing because we knew it was coming. <laughs> or, or, can we now have, can, can you now give us a, a proper deadline day signing, please? Almost like we need a surprise signing on deadline day to make it real. And again, you surprise signings, you don't get many of those these days. With all the, sort of the, the social media and, and the access that, that, fans have nowadays there are very very few secrets so yeah that I, I don't get the hype unless we sign Danny Ings of course the silent <laughs> oh, <yeah>. transfer <laughs> just turns up I reckon he just he, turn, he does a sort of almost like a reverse Odin wingy he just turns up and no one knows he's signed and he's just sort of done it over but yeah incredible I'd be all over that but Mike if you know this this window is closed and if we looked out across out this window onto a, a lovely vista, well, would it be a lovely vista? What, what are we looking at for a, a <laughs> landscape in front of us for, this, for Watford fans? Uh, I know exactly what I'm looking out on, actually. <laughs> Just don't tell me it's lava and earthquakes <laughs> and all no, the rest of it. That'll be, that'll be uh, full time at the uh, Medeski Stadium. <laughs> Look to your left, there's a WH Smiths. Over there on the, uh, the right is a, uh, is a Boots. There's an overpriced <laughs> perfume shop over there. We, we look out, we're in an airport, and in front of us, <laughs> okay. there's someone thrusting an envelope into our hands. We have bought one of those blind holidays where you don't <laughs> find out where you're going until you open, you open the envelope at the, um, at the airport and, you've, you, and you find out where you're going. So we're at an airport, and I think we're about to get on the plane. We're about to, we've checked in, uh, and we're about to find out exactly where we're going because... The, the impact of any transfer is only theoretical until they've played games. And I think it will either be a bust or we'll end up having a really exciting season. That was a really long way of saying we were at a crossroads, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Could have looked out the window and it's just a uh, black and white stripes on the road. We're at a crossroads. A bit worried we've got a crossroads in an airport. That could, that could lead to disaster. <laughs> the reason I'm a bit non-committal about it is because... I'm a bit, still a bit non-committal about this this season. I, I I feel like I'm frustrated, as Jason was alluding to. There, the later in the transfer window you have to do your business, the probably or potentially the less organised you are. The later in the season you're having to do it, so in the January window as opposed to the summer window, the probably the less well your season is going. So I feel like I think we've done well in this window. So. The outside the airport, it's sunny at the moment. I'm hopeful that the our destination, as a result of this transfer window, is going to be one that is appealing to us as as Watford supporters. So, another a quick way of putting it: it's too early in the morning to work out if it's going to be sunny or not. How about that? Yeah, it is, and that's the thing. We, you know, our our former podcasting uh, partner Adam Leventhal, he almost refused. Um, to truly judge last season's January arrivals until the end of the season. And I get that. And I know you're sort of saying that we have to wait until we want to see. But I want to maybe maybe talk about this transfer window, not in terms of what we think is going to happen, but actually make judgments in terms of do they make sense to us for the now? Um, Mm -hmm. I think that we could truly, truly do. So you're sort of saying, Mike, well, I I get the vibes that you're sort of saying it it does make sense to you, the the choices and the the signings that we made and, and the ones we got rid of. I think so. I think if you look in isolation at the players that have come in on the whole, let's not forget that some of these guys we've known about for a long, long time. They were signed, they were announced really before the window was open. If we knew Ismail Kone was coming and we re- pretty much certain that Mateus Martins was, was coming as well. And I think both of those guys um, are exciting players, um, young at the start of their careers with, with a lot to offer. And, 
I don't think you can look at either of those players and, and, and not think that they add something to this to this squad, particularly, I guess, at the moment when we're struggling with, with injuries. Kone is, is struggling to find his feet a little bit, but I think mm. we've already seen his quality straight away. And Mateus Martins, I think, is, is going, to be, going to be interesting as well. Th- those guys came in early, and I, I think it would be hard to argue that they're not great additions. And then... The striker, the other striker, we've brought in another couple of strikers, Britsov Malonga, which is probably the one that was the, so far out of left field, it's almost back round to the right field. If only they'd left it for a few days, eh, Jace? <laughs> exactly, yeah. He'd have, been, he's a, he'd have been a proper deadline day. Yeah, great one, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Enrique uh, Arouge. Uh, uh, Arouge. Arouge, Enrique Arouge. Again, you know, he's really sought after. He is someone that Benfica have... Real, real high hopes, and I know there's been a lot of headlines about the the hundred million release clause. I think that is in place for for a particular reason. I don't think they're ever expecting to get a hundred million, but it, 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 he is a caliber player with high hopes um, pinned against him. So for him to come to Watford, we know this is going to be a short term deal, um, is is exciting. So just those three are, you know, it feels like there's an extra little bit of potential for there to be a little bit of magic we've talked all so far this season about how games are by and large pretty even regardless of who you're you're playing (laughs) Middlesbrough game at the weekend probably uh, an exception to that unfortunately but really the difference to to winning games is that that little bit of uh, magic a little bit of quality Mm. and I think those three guys that we've mentioned there are are probably hopefully going to be capable of of doing that so from a exciting point of view I think those three are the ones that stand out for me um, to get the juices flowing but also make sense as well considering the, the state of the squad as it is at the moment January transfer window is about upgrading hopefully mm-hmm. but that's a very hard thing to do at least it's about filling gaps and I think last year it, January you know, when Samir turned up and when Kamara turned up it certainly felt like they were trying to at least fill gaps that we had this does feel like a bit of an upgrade, particularly, Jason, in that forward line. Because, God love him, and uh, who was it told, who messaged us said he scored four goals, of which one was a worldie and three were game winners. Uh, something like that, anyway. Bio has, has gone in places. Martins, Sombolonga and Arouge. But, Jason, that, that forward line, it definitely feels like a, a really good upgrade, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And Slav's got a job on his hand trying to fit everyone into that now isn't he I mean it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how we <laughs> how he sets up when everyone's back and fit because if you think about so we, we we've got a rouge who he's got to play hasn't he you, you, there were talks in the negotiations about having to have a minimum appearance clause in there so you'd ex- even though that didn't happen you, you expect They'll want him to play and will want him to play and, and he'll be in the starting 11 most weeks. Pedro, when he's back and fit, you'll want him playing. Mm. Saar, you'll want playing. Davis, you'd assume you'd still want playing for what he offers. And then we're talking about the players that, that Mike has mentioned already, the other exciting players that have come in in Kone and... Serie A's most expensive signing of the winter transfer window, which I <laughs> still is the most bizarre thing I think I've heard for a long time um, in Martins. How does he fit into things if, you, if you're trying to find places for all those players? I think we're going to end up with a lot of attacking talent on the bench looking to come on as, as impact subs if they're needed. Quite frankly, we could have done with them earlier in the season in a lot of games. We've got Spria, who we've talked about before as being a good impact player. Is he going to even struggle to get on the bench? It's, it's an incredible array, potential array, let's be clear, potential array of attacking talent. For Slavan, it, it does sort of sit you know, in two different camps for him and, and slightly for the club because he is just purely looking at game after game after game after game. And we know there are definitely some busier spells in the championship, but we really feel, I feel at least, you know, we haven't had a starting eleven who you sort of go, yes, that's our starting eleven. We haven't had that opportunity this this year. But looking to the club, there are a bunch of players there who are just lone players. They're not ours. We have they have we have no we do have responsibilities to them, but if Keenan Davis doesn't play, it doesn't really matter. Or does it because we might have to sign him if we go up? Anyway, then you've got a bunch of young players 
who you know it's important that they get developed, but it's not necessarily important that it all happens in the last end of this season. And that's where I think Martins and Espria sort of definitely fall into it. And then you've got some that you have to keep in the shop window and you have to keep in the team, which is Saar and that's Pedro. So I get, you know, that's the sort of balance, you know, the club probably more thinking about and I'm thinking about, but maybe, hopefully, Slavan is just looking for what, who's the best players and who, who's in front of him. Mike, you know, we did cry out for um, midfielders for lots of different reasons, mainly because we didn't have any uh, because of uh, for injuries. <laughs> and we technically did sign two, I think. Kone um, was, uh, you know, during the window. And, and you know, um, Bakuna, just a bit before it. We still got so many to come back. I think it was Jacob on, on Twitter said the other day, he sort of said, it was a picture of the, them all sort of running around, getting their fitness back. And he said, it'd be like four new signings when they all come back. Mm. And that is true. But do you think, apart from injuries, you, I really feel like we've got a, a great midfield there, a great, almost amazing championship midfield? Yeah, I, I mean, I struggle with that, John, because I think at the start of the season, I still think most of us would say we were light midfield-wise going in. Uh, no one could have foreseen the, foreseen, sorry, the, um, the injuries that, that we had. Would you say we were light? Because we didn't have loser at the beginning of the year. No. So if you I mean, make that his judgment, he, then he came back for three games, or two and a bit games, and then he went again. So it's almost like the beginning of the year, we seemed light, but we didn't actually have loser necessarily at that no, point. No, but we, and we had Kayembe, um, and we had Gosling, and then we had Chowdhury come in. All of which have been injured, along with Tom Cleverley yeah. as well, and and that was that was the sum total of our options in midfield, really. Which going into a season where you want to be challenging at the top end of the division is not enough, really. At a push, you know, if everyone had stayed fit, it would have been okay. But we know, even with hindsight, we know that midfielders don't stay fit for an entire season. You know, it's a it's a it's a difficult, challenging role. So I think we were light. At the start of the season, and I, I, to be perfectly honest, I still think we're, we're light now. I think it's the one area where we're probably still scrabbling around a little bit. You know, we've started games with, with Gaspar in, in midfield. He's done OK, but he's certainly not what you'd be wanting to have in your, in your starting midfield. Ismail Kone's come in, clearly a talented player, but similarly, as, as he said earlier, has struggled a little bit to find his feet in in recent games, that in that initial swagger he had has sort of uh, has, has worn off to a, to a degree, but that's that's no criticism of him. It's just the, the nature of the the beast. So I think midfield-wise is the one area where I still think that we're we're light. And what we've just talked about there is that there's a whole host of attack-minded players who will be wanting to make an impact. Potentially, could be asked to play a deeper role in in midfield, maybe to bulk up midfield and to and to add to our attacking. Options are attacking, not options, but attacking flair because scoring goals for this Watford side has been so, so difficult. We've just looked just not like scoring at all, really. So whether we might utilise some of those attacking players in, in a midfield role, I'm, I'm not sure. But the bottom line is, for me, I think midfield is the one area where we still feel a little bit light. If, we can, if everyone was back fit, loser, cleverly, Kayembe, Gosling alongside Kone and Espria, we know Pedro can play play there as well, then that, that's different. We know Dan Gosling is unfortunately going to be be out for a significant period of time. Uh, loser, looks like he's on the road back to fitness. We are nervous about pinning too much on him because of the, the, the nature of the injury and knowing that he had one before. So, again, typical Mike Parkin, long-winded answer here, John, but I think we're still light in that area. I'm pleased that Kone's coming in. I think he's a great player. I do like Chowdhury. Yeah, if we just feel a little bit, a little bit light for me in, in midfield still. Injuries back, great. No more injuries, brilliant. Um, and they might have some more more weight to themselves. Defensive wise, Jason added uh, Ferreira right back. Um, added two very late on at centre back, and we, well, it's one of those things. We we cry and cry out for new centre backs all the time. We get them when we're in the Championship. We don't get them in the Premier League, and it's something that. That Slavan said about the the cosmetic side that you can do sometimes in these transfer windows, and and I don't know if that's true or not, and I don't think he can say if it's true or not at this point with his centre backs of of Wesley Hood and Ryan Porteous. Those two make sense, don't necessarily feel perfect. Leave it with truce leaving. I think DCW said he said, "Ah, oh, got rid of the dead wood." Well, got rid of bio. I don't think truce is necessarily dead wood. But it's, we've talked about what we're going to lose with him. And Matty Pollock, that's fine. 
Let's go and play in a competitive uh, division up in up in Scotland. Two new faces in that, that centre back does feel good, yeah. Yeah, so I, I feel like um, adding to Mike's transport um, analogies because like the train has reached the end of the station and it's all change, please, all change. I'm not I'm not going to say I'm struggling to get my head around it a bit, but it, it and some of it started to make more sense. There was a, an article, Truce to Kong article in the Athletic that I read today, where it, it sounds like. His feet have been a little bit itchy yeah. since the since the summer. So actually, now that one makes more sense than it did a few weeks ago. And let's not forget with Troost, guys, that he's he's left a, a second tier side to go and play in the top tier mm. in Italy. Yeah. So yeah. If, for him, if that move arises, then you're you're probably pushing for it. Syria or the Championship. You know, he's for him. It's a it's a good move. We look at this through, through the eyes of the Watford squad, but. He will have probably have wanted that move, like as you were saying. And let's not forget, he's gone to the top flight over there. As a sort of parallel to that, you look at the, the Hurt signing, that's sort of kind of gone the other way, but that's because it, it sounds like he struggled playing top flight football. The, the noises from Southampton fans and from Andalek fans sort of suggest. He's not. He wasn't all that that great for them, but that again, that's a level up. A change for him might do him some good, and might be a start, a chance for him to to restart things. The Porteous signing almost sounds like it's a, a like for like, maybe a, an an upgrade in terms of shithousery. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I've said it. <laughs> um, an upgrade in shithousery on Trustycon. Trustycon, everything that he did will probably be best remembered for waving off uh, Osho, <laughs> yeah. was it? Osho uh, in the looting game. Yeah. Um, and by all accounts, Porteous, whatever he does football-wise, apparently he's very good at, at that sort of thing as well, judging by the photos we've seen of him on social media. Um, but that's good though, Jace. I think that's really good. We need it that. It is, because we talked, we talked about that, didn't we? We talked about Trusty Kong sort of kind of being that kind of player, that, that sort of leader almost in the dressing room. Again, in that article, Trusty Kong said there are players like that still at the club, and he, and he says that Watford will be fine from that point of view. But Porteous does come across from, from what we've read as sort of being that sort of player, someone who's up for a fight, up for a challenge. And we, we definitely, let's like say, we do need that kind of player. Also, he's left-footed, isn't he? Um, and we've talked about the need for a left-footed centre-back and someone, in terms of progressive play out from the back, he's that sort of player. And it's that kind of player that we've missed. Obviously, we need to hope that he can defend as well. I'm sure I'm sure he'll be <laughs> perfectly capable. But yeah, he, he, he probably adds an extra dimension to our defence. And, and we probably do need that, certainly for home games, where we've seen a lot of teams sort of come and sit and we've struggled to break them down and just having that maybe an extra player that can bring the ball forward give the opposition something else to think about I, that's a plus for me Ferreira can do that as well and it remains to see how long he's going to be out injured because surprise surprise it sounds like he he's got a hamstring injury but he, he's very much got a touch of the Kikos about him for me in as much as defensively okay you can just about get away with it but he's looked like he's enjoyed going forward as well I was going to say, but I don't even remember on the. Uh, it came up on a couple of podcasts after his sort of first and, and second game. There's two home games where I talked about the fact that I I likened him to Daryl Yamat and because um, mm-hmm. he likes sort of bringing the ball inside as he attacked. Obviously, got the goal uh, against Rotherham. I was sitting there feeling quite smug when he did that. Having talked mm-hmm. about his ability to do that the week before, the, the trouble is the other point I mentioned was the fact that being like Daryl Yamat, you've got to hope that he's uh, not injury prone and lo and behold three games yeah. <laughs> in there we go yeah it's a it's a shame so we'll have to wait and see what what's interesting me when we're talking is about we've talked about midfield is i think we've certainly from my point of view we've put a little bit of a, a red flag in defensively i would argue it's a it's a roll of the dice but i'd say the experience that we're getting from those guys if the outgoings are Pollock and Troost, then it is on paper and uh, an upgrade, and I'm happy with that. And I think we'll get that little extra oomph from them. And I wonder if that that sort of vocal, um, slightly aggressive, narky element, combined with the added um, competition for space in this side, which is now, as we've said, pretty full. I wonder if that is could be the you know the spark to light the blue touch paper underneath this squad, which has looked. You know, really, 
really disappointing, quite frankly, hasn't it, all too often this season. So consistently inconsistent, all too often they've turned up and just been very, very flat. And we haven't really been able to put our finger on it, slow starts and not being able to take the game to, to oppositions who, who haven't necessarily got sides as good as ours. So I just wonder whether, on, on the face of it, some added pedigree around the place, an added little bit of swagger, an added bit of grit, an added bit of determination to get um, to get in the shop window or get a shirt on your back, whether that is a sort of a slightly more untang- intangible benefit to this to this window. I don't know what you feel about that, John. Now you said that, that's, that is how I feel. The, I don't think, I was trying to figure it out, I wasn't sitting there going, yeah, that's a better side. I was thinking that is an upgrade, but yeah, I think you're right. It, that's what the, that's what the, the impact of having those minimal upgrades at least might get more out of them because of that competition. I'm just fascinated to, to find out where that came from. It does feel a very different January transfer window to, to many we've seen before. And I don't know, Mike, what about, do we put this down to Ben and Ben Manga and, and his influence? It certainly feels a few of those players were there. But do you think we've seen anything different from, from Gino uh, in terms of what, how much he spent? Not a lot. There's there's one thing that that hasn't really changed, and and, and that is th- th- there is still eye catching transfers, and not necessarily eye catching for the for the right reasons. I think the uh, Bayo coming in for five million quid and then departing on loan a couple of months later back to the same club. We all know the links between uh, someone at our club and his family member at at Charleroi. So for me, there is. There's issues there. I think I saw something on Twitter about um, Wesley Hurt being linked somehow to to, to Monty Bayer as well. I think I saw that. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, so that, but that, did that feel like they're trying to distance themselves by getting rid of one of his players? Well, and but, he's, but he's scrabbling. No, but he's scrabbling to have some sort of say in the other transfer. Well, it doesn't maybe. feel like he's still... It, doesn't, it feels completely different from how it felt for the last two years. For me, I think there's still an, there's still an issue there. I think the bio one is is my eyebrows sort of rolled off the back of my head when when that happened. Not not because of the quality of the player, not because of the transfer. I think it's I'm glad we're clearing the decks with with people who I don't necessarily think are, are up to it. It's just the nature of it, and I think that's something we need to keep an eye on. That's a watching brief. So it feels like that hasn't been completely flushed out with with the with the arrivals of Ben Manga and and Costa. On, on, so that's a negative, I would say, and something that sort of um, is still there and something that is just bugging me and, and, and concerning me slightly. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. But if you look at the, I guess if you look at the profile of, of the players that have come in, Kone, Martins, Porteous, and certainly at, at Aus, these are young players with careers ahead of them. And for us to be getting them in but not not just not just young players in as much as with we're hoping that they might go on to do something young players who are already established to a degree yeah and and I think the profile of, of of who's coming in is starting to switch a little bit we need to wait and see how they all perform you know if Kone goes on to play 150 games and we sell him for for 20 million quid then then great if uh, Aruj goes back to Benfica tears it up in the uh, uh, over there in, uh, and goes to plays European football and scores, then obviously it will, will have been a coup to get him here. If he scores goals here as well, of course. So there, I, it does feel to me there is a slight shift in the in the profile of these players, and you'd have to you'd have to think that that Ben Manga and, and Costa are, are flexing their little black book a little bit with Arouse in particular, who is I think pretty sought after. It was a surprise I think for a lot of people when he when he landed at Watford. So. I do think that there is definitely the the, the fingerprints of the, of those guys starting to become visible on the Watford squad. What for me is going to be interesting is what happens in the summer, and I know that is we're talking about now. I think, and and what's fascinating about how we do it is, and this isn't isn't a conversation for now. If we don't go up, it's going to be a very different summer to if we do go up, and both will have massive massive challenges. And I think that's when we'll really see the benefit and the um, the I guess the skills and the talent of uh, of Manga and Costa uh, in in the in the in the summer when they have to either build a championship winning squad 
which will undoubtedly be shorn of a lot of players that we're seeing this year. Arauz won't be back. Asar won't be here. Almost certainly Pedro won't won't be here. So that's when I'm looking to it. I, but I do think that we've probably they've probably done they've probably had an impact here. Yeah, I think is the is the bottom line. Yeah, I like that like the idea. The profile of the players has changed. I think mm. that's that's probably the thing that makes it not feel like a a modgy influence. Jason, who is the most interesting of all these new signings? Who interests you the most? Who interests me? I think it's it's a rouge for the, the the reasons that we've we've mentioned. The the fact that in some quarters they're talking about him being uh, potentially as good as Ronaldo, and you you have to take these with a pinch of salt. You know, again, it's all you get a bit of hyperbole, don't you, when you read these things? But the fact that that's even being suggested certainly piques my interest. Um, and like you say, the, the Benfica have got a massive price tag on him um, and have big, big hopes for him. And you, and and he's already proved that he can do things at, at a high level. He has played for the, the, the first team, hasn't he, Benfica, and he has scored goals for them. So if he is good enough and, and he gets a regular football in the Watford team, then then who knows what he could do? Who knows what he could achieve for us? So it, it, people love strikers anyway, don't they? People love goal scorers. Mm. So that again just sort of adds to the uh, to the interest that that I think fans will have in him. Since you took most interesting, I was going to ask who's the most exciting, and I think you've answered the same one there, Jason. I think he is probably the most exciting, mm. probably because he's a striker. Mike, who what what was the most sensible signing? Do you think? Kone was sensible because we needed that midfielder. I think we acted quickly to get him. He had a good World Cup, I think, uh, and there was there was obviously some interest around him. So I think that struck me as a really sensible, forward-thinking signing. I really, really like that his capture. I think that's a that's a great one. Less of a gamble, I think, than perhaps someone like Martins, who's ended up on loan with us. For me, it's it's Kone. I think he. He just fits the bill. He's exactly what we needed. He's got a bright future ahead of him. Um, international already, young, so potential to uh, to be able to flip him for for some money as as well. Which sounds a little bit brutal talking about it like that, but we talk about player profile. He's someone that fits everything that I think as a forward thinking football club should be should be looking at. So if he's um, so if he's the uh, most sensible signing, Jason, who is is Britta longer? the shrewdest signing that we've mm. got. Because um, I thought that was... Be, I think that's, that's what I thought Mike was going to say, <laughs> easily. The most sensible is British on Belonga. But I might say, do we give him the shrewdest signing? Yeah, that, that's a... That's a that's a tricky one. Who, when's, who he gonna, when, when's he going to play? When's Brit going to yeah. play is the question I mean, if, I he, if he comes on, if, 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 if and when the, the rest of the strike force get injured... And he comes on and, and scores a last-minute winner. Then, then yeah, you probably can say that's that's quite a, a shrewd signing. It, it's certainly the most unexpected, I think, isn't it? And, and like you, you talked about it being a left-field signing, um, which I guess adds to the shrewdness of the signing because it's not one that the people expected. And the others, I think. I mean, perhaps Wesley Hood could end up being the shrewd one, or it could be completely the opposite. And end up being a complete disaster. Well, I was a lot gonna, of these I, things we won't go on then ask that question. Well, I was going to say <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask, but I don't want to ask. But maybe you're right. He could be the dud, uh, the most likely to be a dud. He could be the dud, and 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 again, I, I feel you almost feel like you're sort of typecasting, aren't you? When we're talking about the attacking players bit potentially being the most exciting, and the defenders potentially being the duds, could. Porteous end up being the, the bad boy because he is such a, a shithouser. Is he the, is he a walking red card? Um, is, is he, he the next on the cult hero trouble? playlist? <laughs> <laughs> is he going to be a cult hero? Yeah. And and Hurt, I talked about him having to drop a level to to perhaps sort of find his form again. What happens if he's on a, a, a downward spiral? Could he end up sort of keep going down and down? And we know that it, how easy it is for sort of for, for these players in in pivotal defensive roles to to end up. Sort of being cast as villains when when things aren't going well, the potential's there. What we've—it's so hard to say, isn't it? Until ask us in in three four months time, and 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 we'll know for sure, won't we? But um, yeah, that that 
they're the potentials, aren't they? Because I think the Asamba Longa works in so many ways. A, we're going to play so many different teams. And I think a player like him and his experience will not work against every single team that we play. But against certain ones, he will work really well. And if Slavan, with his experience in this league, he was asking for a player like that, then that's brilliant. Because the other thing I think how he'll work brilliantly for us is he will be in the training ground every day. What we deem to be a proper championship striker will be training up against the defence and getting them better. And that's a possibility of, of helping the, the squad, not necessarily just in the, in the match day. Mike, the longest lasting, who's going to be here the longest out of all the new boys? Um, well, Aruz Arauz, I think he's going to be the shortest. Shortest, definitely. He, he's definitely <laughs> off at the end of, end of the season. I'm probably looking at, hopefully, Porteous and Kone. As, as having lengthy... You've got to pick one. Who's going to be the longest? Careers. <laughs> right, I will go with... Well, if Kone really takes off, then he will take off. So I'm going to go with our uh, our old pal from Hibs, Ryan Portis, I think. I reckon he'll be uh, he'll be hanging around for a bit and he could end up being a um, yeah a, a long-term Watford favourite, I think, if he's a, if he's a tough-tackling, hard-talking... Uh, striker abusing centre back, then uh, then uh, I reckon he'll uh, he'll play his way to the hearts of Watford supporters um, pretty quickly. Look on the face of it, I think every player there has potential, and there, you, there is a, a a fairly strong argument for all of them. Perhaps Wesley Hurt is the one where most people will will um, say the jury's out on because his his career and 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 Southampton it just hasn't panned out. The other six, I think you can, and even Bakuna to, to a degree, can look at it and say, well, OK, look, I understand it. There's a rationale there. There's potential for all of these guys to add to the squad uh, and, to, and to play a part in the team. I think Hurt is the one where we'll have to wait and see. He's probably the one with, with most to prove. But overall, for me, I think it is as good a window as Watford probably could have had. They've got to balance it with, with as Jace alluded to earlier, when everyone's back, this is a full. It's a big old squad with some big old names in it and some big talents who will be wanting to to play. Um, we've already it's come out that uh, that, that House isn't going to get a squad number. Dan Gosling isn't going to get a squad number. You wouldn't have thought because he's not going to be fit before the end of the season. So any any more and and you're struggling to see how you how you fit them in, and they've all got something about them, haven't they? So bearing in mind that you have to look for the future as well. You can't bring people in on big money, big contracts um, on the basis because we might not go up and then we've got the, the whole sort of financial thing to, to worry about. Although that said, there's a story from Andrew French we're recording this little section on on Thursday. Andrew spent the day uh, transfer deadline day at Vicarage at the, um, the training ground and he said that he was told that... Um, Musa Sissoko was very close to coming coming back. With. Now, that would have been uh, out of left field and would have been an interesting one and you wonder how that would have worked financially. But it's, I think it's been a balancing act. It's been a tricky, tricky one to negotiate because, as we've said pretty much week in, week out for the last month or so, it looks like the top two are gone. So there's, one, there's, a, there's a three-match cup tournament to get promoted that we're now playing for. And whilst there's a chance, the odds are, you know, it are, you wouldn't want to bet on anyone to get promoted in the playoffs, would you? Because we've seen through our own playoff experiences how quickly it can change. Injuries, suspensions, penalties, anything can happen in the playoffs. So you can't bet the house on going up through the playoffs. You can't commit too much to going up through the playoffs and then be lumbered if we stay in the championship with long contracts big wages that we struggled to move on. So I think it's been a really difficult window and a difficult choice, a difficult call for the board um, to make. And I'm going to put my neck out there and say they've done, they've done pretty well. I, I think they've done as well as can be expected with the club and the team in the situation it is. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Blimey. Well, it's finished here in uh, Reading. Reading 2, Watford 2. I'm joined outside the ground by Matt. Hello. And Sophia. Hello. So, where to begin, really, Matt? In fact, I know where I'm going to begin, because as we came out, we heard the Watford fans singing, you're not fit to referee, bit of stick towards the ref. There was a bit of... uh, uh, There's a 
Royal Rumble at the end, wasn't there? A bit of bit of fisticuffs at the end. And for me personally, I felt that the ref was a bit culpable in that because I thought he let a lot go in in the midfield. Certainly, uh, our new boy Rouge, I thought, got a little bit of treat, treatment, and and it didn't seem to be a particularly even. I'm not suggesting he's biased, but it wasn't a particularly even-handed refereeing display. He let a lot go, which culminated in that. Do you think a the ref was an issue today? But B, does it point to a bigger issue about the temperament and the and the bollocks, quite frankly, of this of this Watford side? Yeah, I think the referee made a rod for his own back and lost control of the game. And what happened at the end was always on the cards, I think. Was it material in the way the game turned out? I'm not sure it was. There's a lot of grumbling about a disallowed goal, but those who've seen it on a on a on a stream are saying that it was touched in by a somber longer offside, so it was unfortunate um, and certainly awarded a long time after the event yeah I mean it looked like Britt was celebrating didn't it in front of in front of him as if he'd scored it and yes. if he was off and he was if offside he, if, he, if he just kept his arms down we might have got away with it yeah. but, but as for the rest of it no the referee lost control but we've got to be more disciplined in those situations now we were already at 2-2 at that stage we'd already you know Reading hadn't rolled over it looked at 2-0 for all the world like a routine win to me I thought we played pretty well we'd had a few games like this where we've passed the ball around and not gotten anywhere and this time we passed the ball around and scored a couple of goals fabulous header from Porches fabulous celebration and then Reading came back at us and and it was Long's experience in the penalty area getting, getting in ahead of Cathcart slowing down and taking the foul that got them back into the game there was no sign of it until there and that's what you get from an experienced player I guess so let's take it back to the start Sophia I think Watford started slowly I think your dad there's very uh, said Watford played quite well I thought we struggled early on for the first, but before the goal how did you feel Watford had, had played yeah I think it started slowly but it definitely picked up and before Reading scored and we scored the first couple of goals it was definitely a very good game yeah I, I agree I think like you say Matt I think it felt like at one stage like, oh we've come away and we've, we've won this after an hour and it's almost, let's, let's t- almost time time to go home let's start from the, the beginning then so the goal it was just a very poor start to the game I thought the first 20 minutes both sides were it was frenetic it was frantic not much quality not much time on the ball from either either side and then when Watford did manage to get it down I think it was a ruse that made the run down the flank got it across Saar tapped it tapped it in Arouge what did we make of him today? At Middlesbrough last week Davis and then Arouge didn't get enough of the ball and they both looked did alright with what they got but it wasn't enough and there was another one of the same today I think I like him he moves really well his touch is good he's always trying to be involved but we're not getting him in the game enough I think I, I, I do like the way he moves. He looks like a striker, doesn't he? He looks nimble. He's fleet of foot. He's looking to turn, looking to get ahead of the d- defender all the way, all, all the day. Do you think today was a another? Presumably had one a bit of a lesson at, at Middlesbrough as well, but a bit of a, a wake up call about what his six months or half a season here is, in the Championship is going to be like. Yeah, no question. I mean, he's, he's he didn't get any protection, but that's going to happen. Yeah. He's got to be a little bit more ready for that a little bit more robust to it um, not that he's not physically strong enough because I think he's quite wiry he's not frail he's not someone who's going to get knocked over but he's going to get buffeted around and I think it was Tom Holmes on him for most of the most of the game who just beat him up yeah. um, and he did well I think he had a good he made the goal the first goal he had some good touches and on another day you know he could have had a bit more luck with the referee but yes absolutely he's got to He's got to adjust to that. And that's going to happen. We've brought in a whole load of new players. Even those who aren't coming in from a different country are going to need to adjust. A draw at Reading's not a bad result. It's just enormously frustrating the yeah. way that it's the way that it's happened. Under the circumstances. Another new boy, Sophia, uh, Ryan Porteous. He scored the second quickly after the second half. He, I thought he defended well in the first half. He, you notice him, certainly. And I think there was a lot of talk before the game about how his demeanour and how his on-field antics and behaviour might be something that this Watford side are crying out for but had you got back to your seat for the second half to see him uh, score that second? Yeah I did, I think it was very good um, I liked it yeah. The celebration was good wasn't it? Yeah. The celebration was absolutely tremendous he, he, um, he wanted to share that, he wanted to share the feeling and he had done he'd had a great first half I thought I thought he got Dominant. Shane Long 
in his pocket and wound up, you know, halfway through the half. Long was stropping and pouting and kicking and sulking and, and, and Porteous was loving it. And that was one hell of a header and a, and, a, and a mighty celebration. It was a great header. And at that stage, it felt like it was, we were sort of freewheeling, planning a journey home, feet up in front of the TV with a takeaway in and three points. So, so where did it go wrong? There were, there were substitutions. I thought, I thought Mateus Martins is a, is a curious one for me. I think he was obviously feeling it out there in terms of the robust challenges that were going in. We've, we've spoken about the ref. Let's part that there. In this division, you're going to have to take the rough with the smooth. And there was plenty of rough out there today. I thought he... Did he even flatter to deceive up there uh, this afternoon? I like Martins. I like his attitude. He doesn't hide. Um, he's, always, he's always trying to influence the game, but he makes bad decisions. And he was, he, you know, he dribbled into into no man's land a couple of times, into forests of legs, thought that he was never going to get through. And I think I was surprised he didn't come off in the first couple of subs because I thought he was in danger of getting a second yellow. Yeah. He was he was losing his rag, and you could just see him a couple of times where he's lost, where he's been forced off the ball with aggressive challenges and not got the free kick, and he's chasing the free kick, and you think. Easy. Take it. Yes, easy, easy, easy lad, that's it. Um, so I think he had to come off. I don't think Toby influenced the game, particularly when he came on, but, but he's a more robust, you know, even though he's only 17, a more robust individual. I think Martins, there's, there's great raw material there, but like a Rouge, he's going to need to get used to the environment he's playing in. So we've got we've to try and work this out. Slavin Bilic will be having the debrief in the dressing room. Let's have Haas here. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, sadly, it doesn't feel like a surprise that Watford have capitulated. Quite frankly, I mean, capitulated. We've still got a point away from home. We've scored goals, which is which is good. I haven't seen the penalty back, but it feels a little bit like a, a bit of a sucker punch there and a decent strike for the second. In fairness, but it did. I think f- for me, the big issue about this afternoon is incredibly slow start. The failure to capitalise when we. Were, were well on top at 2-0 it felt like a, a walk in the park really it felt like Reading were, were dead and buried so how did we play ourselves into a situation where we very very nearly could have lost it at the end I think we didn't manage the game very well once we were ahead I don't think I agree with you about the start it was a slow start but I think we were doing okay we had a lot of possession we weren't doing a lot with it and what, but once the game settled down I thought we were we were gradually building up pressure and I thought we were the better side until we scored. But you're right, we didn't manage the winning position very effectively and the long penalty thing came out of nowhere. But even then, even at 2-1, you want someone to put the foot on the ball and slow it down. And we have a lot of good young players, but our more experienced players, you know, I tell you who we missed there today, who we could have done with coming off the bench at 2-1 and that's Tom Cleverley. Yeah. Because, you know, the number, even, even in the Premier League, having Tom to trundle off the bench and just calm everybody down is, is, was a valuable thing. In the Championship, you know, that could have been the difference. Yeah, today. just to enter that maelstrom, talk to the ref a bit maybe as well, yes. get your hand on his yeah, shoulder and do the, do the John Eustace sort of role and just tell him, are you seeing this, are you seeing this, and just, and just calm it down. I do want to, let's just run through the, the side from back to front quickly because uh, someone who's concerning me a little bit more and more as, as the weeks go on and as we talk about throwing away a two-goal lead, you do have to look defensively. And I think Hassan Kamara, for me, is... <laughs> Craig Cathcart alongside Portis, I think there is definitely something could, could go there, the sort of um, crazy horse alongside the, uh, the more stoic Craig Cathcart. So I think there's, there's a definite good partnership there. But Kamara in there... I tried to describe it earlier a couple of podcasts away saying you never when Craig Cathcart goes for the ball you're pretty sure he's judged the trajectory correctly and he's going to get there or at least make it difficult for the defender Hassan Kamara seems to be out of position a lot and just a bit Zebedee-esque if you like a bit sort of a bit chaos theory to his, his game is he is he a problem for us? He is at the moment I think Was he today? He, he had there were spells of the game where he was a problem there was I don't think I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the penalty came down his side. I don't think he was really at fault for either of the goals. But certainly, if you're looking for someone to calm the game down, he ain't it. And it's very odd because, you know, last season, demonstrably, he was one of our better players, perhaps by virtue of showing some spirit when there was pressures a little bit about. This season, he hasn't played as well, and it's almost like he's conscious of that, and he doesn't look as happy, and he doesn't look as confident 
he went on a couple of buccaneering runs as well. He's 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 he's. Uh, I think he can still be a force for good, but he's not. He's not someone you're going to rely on to as a senior player to calm the game down. Going back to our previous conversation, but I do like the look of Cathcart and Porteous as a pair. You know, there's so many great, particular, you know, not just Watford, but certainly Watford centre back pairings over the years of a, of a clever bloke who does the talking and a, and a bruiser who does the doing. Absolutely. You know, Filippo Gallian, you know, fooled us into thinking Wayne Brown was a <laughs> proper defender for a bit. Glenn Roder and David Holdsworth plenty of others Cox and, 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 and Jay Demerit um, and that's got the makings of a fine a fine partnership Kamara yeah yeah um, I don't know how much he affected the outcome today beyond just making everyone a little bit more nervous than they needed to be perhaps and moving forward into midfield I think you've hit the nail on the head really with Cleverly a lot of people he doesn't excite many people but in terms of what he brings in terms of experience and that calm head and that influence I think we're missing him today Move it, moving front I mean, Keenan Davis curious sort of a little bit deeper today um, and I think we have missed that and someone who can hold the ball up sort of drag the defenders around a little bit I'm not going to say it, certainly anonymous in terms of goal threat but in terms of what he brings to the side what he brought to the side this afternoon against Reading again you, 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 you do hope you thought you'd see more from him and I know he's, it's been difficult because he's been in and out of the team with injury not unable, able to get on a, on a little run nonetheless you wanted more from him today and you can see what he can do yeah. there are flashes of what you know him holding the ball up buffeting people around but he didn't influence the game enough for me Go back into the midfield, Chowdhury worries me a little bit. He's, he's absolutely a force for good. Uh, and we don't half miss him when he's not there, but he does need to keep his head. Yeah. And in that Barney at the end, which was inconsequential as far as the outcome of the game was concerned, you know, he's, he's not, a, not, a, not, a, not a veteran, but he's not a kid either. Should know better. Should know better, yeah. One final player I want to touch on, Matt, and feel free to raise anyone else that you, uh, that you want to talk about. As the temperature dips here, it's probably feeling a couple of degrees colder uh, than it would have done if we had uh, got the three points. I thought Ismail Assar worked hard again today. I thought I was impressed with his, with his defensive work as well. I thought he tracked back. There's complaints about Ismail Assar and sometimes and his, uh, ap- the apparent commitment on, on the pitch. Uh, and I don't mean that in the overall, I mean to the to, sort of hands-to-the-pump type uh, uh, description. I thought he got stuck in today. He, he popped up in, the, in both penalty areas defensively and, and was a massive threat down the, down the flank as well. Go, a good game from Isma? Yeah, I think so. He was, when you're playing two up front, so there's only two midfielders, Bakuna and, and, and Chowdhury, there's more onus on the wide players to, to get stuck in defensively and, and Saar certainly did that he had a great first half I thought he, he, he um, wasn't as influential going forward in the second half didn't get as much but he was a, he scared the hell out of them in the first half and that, that period at the start of the first half the stodgy bit was largely Reading trying to stop him from getting the ball I mean they had a couple of people on him and they were trying to it was all about not letting him have a run um, and he's coping. He's having to deal with that every week. Today, he had a couple of good ones in the first. Obviously, he got the goal, um, and as you say, dug in, yeah. dug in, and worked hard. So I think, yeah, he he, he, uh, he had a good afternoon. I thought Bakuni, you mentioned him there as well, did what he was supposed to do as well, by and large. So I guess ultimately, we're we're all disappointed after that after that game. It, you know, the top two disappear off ever uh, into the uh, the ever further away distance, and now I guess. It's what we've always known, really, is that it's about getting the injured players back and getting them meshing, getting them gelling um, together. I thought João Pedro came on, obviously looked fit, looked like a threat, looked very, very keen to have a, an impact on the game. You're sort of slightly nervous him coming back and you don't want him to tweak a, an injury again. You, you want him there. But for, for this season now, we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater regarding this game because... The rest of the season is the long game, isn't it? It's about heading into the playoffs effectively if we can qualify for the playoffs with as many players fit and in form as possible, isn't it? And that has to have been the plan. You look at the number of players we brought in in January. In a way, it's a gamble given how far away Sheffield and, and, and Burnley are. But the plan's got to be to get all the get over these bumps because they're all going to have trouble settling in and then to be hitting our straps as we get into the playoffs and hopefully be able to power to power through them. Um, yeah, that's got to be that's got to be the hope. That's got to be the the way forward. And and look, 
we're frustrated because of the way things have turned out, but we were unlucky today. You know, we came to Reading, we got a point. We think it was correctly awarded, according to people who've seen, had a better view than, than we did, but it must have been tight, and it was, it was unlucky. We, we, we looked good, we could have run away with the game. We didn't, but, but, but I don't think there's cause, as you say, to throw the baby out of the bathwater. No, no cause to be too despondent. Frustrating, but no more than that. All right, so if John was here, he's not here, obviously. He's, he's tucked up at home. He would, be, he, would, he would demand positives. So I'm going to ask one positive from you both. Who wants to go first? Matt, you can go first. What was one good thing about either the day, the game, or the performance? Well, I'm tempted to offer two, but it was a tremendous game of football. I mean, however frustrating, and I'm sure Reading fans will be walking out happier than us, but, you know, he had everything, didn't he? Whatever the occasional lack of quality, it was very, very exciting. There's been a few of those, actually, this season, haven't they? The ones where we've, we haven't got the results we've wanted, but actually have been absorbing yes. encounters, haven't they? Yes, absolutely, and that was certainly one of those. And the second, unless I might, I might be stealing Sophia's one, she's still staring to the distance trying to think of something. So, I'll, I mean, Ryan Porteous was, was, yeah. was, was, who we already talked about, was fabulous. Anything, or has your dad covered them all? Um, I think Watford played very well, even though, like, say, factors of the referee or whatever went wrong in the second half, I think Watford still played very well, and that was a very good game of football. Good. So, football the winner. We're still heading away with smiles on our faces. The Burger Van's done a roaring trade. We'll take it. On we go. Come on, you horns. (laughs) 